0: Good morning. morning. How's everybody this morning? Alert? Cold? Good. We try to keep it the perfect climate in this building to worship the Lord. What's it, about 70 degrees? 69, 70 is the perfect climate to worship the Lord, right? To keep everybody awake anyway. Well, we're back in the book of Proverbs this morning for our communion Sunday study, learning how to be biblically wise, which has been defined as competence or living competently in regards to reality. In other words, learning what reality is and then falling in line with that reality and proverbs would say the biggest or the most important reality is the existence of god the existence of the almighty majestic omnipotent omniscient and omnipresent god and when we acknowledge that reality then all of the other truths and realities will just trickle down into every nook and cranny of our lives and we can live according to biblical wisdom so far we've, we've spent many Sundays in this book and we've defined foolishness, we've defined wisdom and prudence, we've looked at wise words, we've looked at wise work, uh, we've looked at wise friends, and we're kind of doing a little study right now on uh, the wise family, so we have looked at wise parenting. This morning we will look at the wise man. Uh, sooner or later we will make it to the wise woman. Or the not-so-wise woman. We may find there's a few of those in Proverbs as as well. The wise man. When you think about the wise man, you think, well, what scriptures are he going to use? Because it's so easy with the wise woman, you just turn to Proverbs 31 and it's all laid out beautifully. But what... Can you say about the wise men? Well, actually, there are very few verses that are aimed directly or specifically at men. You'll remember that the book of Proverbs is is written with young men in mind, but it can be applied to everyone. And so, though we might see or read the word man. So, for instance, Proverbs 12:25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Well, that's true for everybody. We all get weighed down by anxiety, male, female, young, old. And cheerful, encouraging words are used to lift our hearts. So that's more generic. But when it comes down to verses that are specifically aimed at men, I find about, well, I'm going to camp on three. And I think I find about three that aren't so generic. So since there are only three... I'm going to go ahead and read them to you. I was thinking this morning, this is actually an early Father's Day message. So if I don't come up with anything for Father's Day, this is it. Because this is really aimed at men. But here are the three verses, I think, that are specifically for men. Proverbs 27, 8 says, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Proverbs eleven twenty nine. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant of the wise heart. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. You read those three verses. <clears throat> why why are the last two about men? Well, The theme that emerges in these three verses, perhaps you noticed, is that they all talk about a man and the home. They talk about man in the context of his household. And the reason these last two were ascribed to specifically men is because the household in that day and age uh, was the man's. He was the sole proprietor, so to speak. He owned and operated the household. He was in charge of his his, household. The the well-being of his children, the servants, anybody that worked for him in that society, in that household. So it fell on the man's shoulders. He took all responsibility for that. So when you think about household, that's a man's job. So this is specifically aimed at men. But isn't it interesting that all three verses, as far as Proverbs talking about what wisdom is and then applied to men, have to do with man in the home or Men and the household. So why would Proverbs package wisdom and men together? Well, it makes sense if you think about it. What is the context that God gives man? Well, it's in relation to the family. If you go all the way back to Genesis, the family is like one of the, the, the primary places that men can serve God and worship God. It's at home, it's at the family, it's being the man that God has designed him to be. The family or the home in a sense is man's resting place or nesting place for the family unit. And God has given him role, a role to play as provider, as protector, as leader, if you think about it in the context of Genesis and the creation, he created everything that we see and it's all good. Then he creates man and then he creates woman and he gives what is called the cultural mandate. So after all of this was brought into existence, what words will creator God speak to this beautiful artwork, this masterpiece of his What what will he tell them? What is our purpose? What are we supposed to be doing here? Why did God even speak us by fiat into existence? Well, it is to be fruitful, multiply, and to take dominion, to rule over all of this that God has given us. That's the cultural mandate. That's That's why we exist. And what that does is it gives man, or say manhood, a context for meaning, for significance, for worship... And for serving God, it has. It revolves around the household. It revolves around ruling and taking dominion with your spouse or with your family. Now, many people might think, "Well, that's, that's so. It's just mere tradition." When you think about the man as head of the household, and uh, it's it's outdated. But God gives us resp- these responsibilities in Scripture. It gives us responsibilities to, f- to fulfill at every age. But this is one of the ways that men can find their purpose in this world. It's a context for us to exist and to live. You know, our, marriages, our marriages are to reflect Christ. Our marriages are to make statements about the triune God, the way we unite, the way we become a team to worship the Lord and fulfill this mandate. And then we bring children into the world and hopefully nurture them with the same kind of mindset, purpose, and direction. So it doesn't surprise me to find that the maybe the only three verses in the book of Proverbs that address men directly are in the context of the household and these family relationships. Because that's the context by which we were created And that's one of the primary ways that we serve God. And then, of course, we launch from the family unit. We from that tight place of support, we out into the community and impact the entire world. Cultural mandate. So that's true. If we buy into this and what the Bible says and we think, yeah, that makes sense and it fits into the world order. What would happen if you mess with it? What would happen if you tampered with God's? Defined roles and responsibilities for men. Would we feel the effects? I want to share a piece of an article um, about this very topic of manhood. And would we feel the effects of how men function? The role that they take on. Their goals in life. Why they think they exist. Would we feel the effects of that? Um, I'm going to read snippets from an article. It's actually an adaptation from an entire book, and I'm going to give you that entire book in about two two pages or about five minutes. And it's an article that uh, Brother Jeff Liverman passed on to me, so if the sermon flops, see Jeff at the end of the service. But he just simply sent me a link, and he said, Interesting, thought this might interest you. That's all he said. And uh, it's an article about... Manhood. So as I, as I quote this lady, Kay Heimowitz, that wrote this article found in the Washington Post, an adaptation of one of her books, um, th- here's what I want us to be thinking about as, we, as I read this. Uh, question, if man fails to operate according to uh, his biblical purpose... Will society notice? Will society feel the burden of that, the effects of that? Or another way to ask it, are we happy with the new society or the new modern family, as it's so called, that we're making? Are we happy with the direction that today's manhood is taken? So there's just kind of different ways to think about that. So here is the article. It's a little bit lengthy, but again, I'm condensing a book into just a few pages. Um, She's talking about the changes that are occurring, and she's addressing the toll that it is taking on modern day manhood. And in relation also, maybe perhaps even more specifically, the effects of not just the society, but the household. So she says, not so long ago, the average American man in his 20s had achieved most of the milestones of adulthood, high school diploma, financial independence, marriage, and children. Today, most men in their 20s hang out in a novel sort of limbo, a hybrid state of semi-hormonal adolescence and responsible self-reliance. It's time to state what has become obvious to legions of frustrated young women. This doesn't bring out the best in men. So there's a clue right there of at least one group of people that's frustrated with the the direction that manhood has taken. Between his lack of responsibilities and an entertainment media devoted to his every pleasure, today's young man has no reason to grow up. She quotes some attitude of women. Uh, We're sick of hooking up with guys. And by guys, we mean males who are not boys or men, but something in between. Guys talk about Star Wars like it's not a movie made for people half their age. A guy's idea. I'm trying to be all serious here. here." A guy's idea of a perfect night is to hang around the PlayStation with his bandmates or trip to Vegas with his college friends. They are more like the kids we babysat than the dads who drove us home. And then Heimowitz continues. Popular culture had been crowded with pre-adults for, has been crowded with pre-adults for almost two decades. But for all its familiarity, pre-adulthood represents a momentous sociological development. These are Um, This is a major demographic event, she's saying, as what we're witnessing and experiencing in our day and age. In other words, yes, it's taking its toll on society. What also makes pre-adulthood something new is its radical reversal of the sexual hierarchy. Among pre-adults, women are the first sex. They graduate from college in greater numbers. They have higher GPAs. As most professors tell it, they're more confident. They have more drive. Why grow up? Men in their 20s now have an array of toys and distractions at their disposal from video games and sports bars to, uh, you know, magazines. Still, for these women, one key question won't go away. Where have the good men gone? Their male peers often come across as aging frat boys, maladroit geeks, or grubby slackers. One of the most influential of the psychologists of adolescence was Eric Erickson. Perhaps you remember him from college studying about psychology, who described the stage, this stage, as a moratorium, a limbo between childhood and adulthood. And here's how he characterizes it. And this is important. Characterized by role confusion. Now, by the way, these are not Christian authors that I'm going to quote. I don't. Not even towards the end will I really quote Christian authors. This is just what's happening in the world that people are noticing. It's characterized by role confusion, emotional turmoil, identity conflict. Pre-adults don't know what's supposed to come next. For them, marriage and parenthood come in many forms or it can be skipped. In 1970... Just 16% of Americans' ages 25 to 29 had never been married. Today, it's an astonishing 55%. In the U.S., the mean age at first marriage has been climbing toward 30. And it's no wonder that so many young Americans suffer through a quarter-life crisis, a period of depression, and worry over their future. Pre-adulthood has also confounded the primordial search for a mate, it has delayed a stable sense of identity, dramatically expanding the pool of possible spouses, mystified courtship routines, and helped to throw into doubt the very meaning of marriage. In 1970, to cite just one of many numbers, uh, nearly seven in ten 25 year olds were married. By the year 2000, only one third had reached that milestone. So, what explains this Pure Lyle Puerile shallowness," she asks. I see it as an expression of our cultural uncertainty about the social role of men. It's been almost a universal rule of civilization that girls become women simply by reaching physical maturity, but boys had to pass a test. They needed to demonstrate courage and physical prowess or mastery over certain skills. The goal was to prove their competence as protectors and providers. I have what it takes to start a family, a home. I can take care of you. I've worked hard at this and I'm ready. Today, however, with women moving ahead in our advanced economy, husbands and fathers are now optional. And the qualities of character men once needed to play these roles, fortitude, stoicism, courage, fidelity, obsolete, even a little embarrassing. So where does that leave today's man? Well, today's pre adult male is like an actor in a drama in which he only knows what he shouldn't say. He has to compete in a fierce job market, but he can't act too bossy or self confident. Because that's traditional. That's Taking the bull by the horns, kind of attitude that no longer goes. He should be sensitive but not paternalistic, smart but not cocky. To deepen his predicament because he's single, his advisors and confidence are generally undomesticated guys just like he is. Single men have never been civilization's most responsible actors. They continue to be more troubled and less successful than men who deliberately choose to become husbands and fathers. We can be disgusted if some of them to continue to live in rooms decorated with Star Wars posters and crushed beer cans and to treat women like disposable estrogen toys. But we shouldn't be surprised. Women put up with for a while but then in fear and disgust either give up on any idea of a husband and kids or just go to the local uh, donor where they can get their DNA that they need to start a family without a troublesome man. But these rational choices, which are happening, by the way, on the part of women only serve to legitimize men's attachment to the sandbox. Why should they grow up? No one needs them anyway. There's nothing they have to do. Look at the contrast of the context that Genesis puts us in, that God puts us in. And, and, and we have to measure up. We have to rise to this occasion because God has put this responsibility on our shoulders. And you prepare for it before it ever even happens. You're preparing for manhood. You're preparing to be a husband. You're preparing to be a father because you know it's going to be your responsibility to take care of of people at different stages in their life. It's the buck stops with you. How sobering it is when we think about the fall of man. And Adam, uh, Eve eats of the forbidden fruit and then gives it to Adam and he eats also. And who does God come to? Adam. He didn't go to Eve. Adam, what is this that's happened? What is this that has been done he he goes to the man of the house if you will he's god is holding adam responsible for not in whatever mysterious way protecting his wife or being there for not stopping or or trying to reason it's this burden it's this delightful responsibility this wonderful task that requires tremendous amount of work and courage to fulfill that god has placed on our shoulders. So from Genesis where where men are created to rule like kings. To take dominion over all of this. That God has created with women at their sides as co-equals. As team members to fulfill this cultural mandate. To this society or this article or this question. Why grow up? What purpose do men serve in the society that we're creating today? Who needs them anyway? Now, that's quite a contrast. So who, me, who needs men anyway? Well, women need men, according to Scripture, and I would say according to competence and realities of life according to the world that God has created this reality that we live in women need men to be biblical men. I'm very glad that in this day and age that we that women have more legal respect and and rights and and uh, are treated well and I hope that continues more fairly but women will always have a need for men because God created men to just fit in this particular role that all of society needs. But women need women, no matter how liberated they become, will always have that need because it's just reality and we can't change it. We can't erase it. And here we are facing us uh, on the heels of the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s now into um Uh, Homosexuality, but now um, even more recently the transgender identity crises that people have. A lot of women want to become men, and men want to become women. But the reality will stand that no matter how many times we change our gender, a man is a man and and a woman is a woman. And we will still need those roles played in our lives. Now, what I just said there, um, a, a woman will never be a man and a man will never be a woman, is a dangerous thing to say. That very statement got, perhaps you know him, I don't follow sports, but an ESPN sportscaster got him fired by saying that. He was later reinstated. I don't know why they do that. They fire somebody for saying something politically incorrect and then next thing you know they're, they're back at work. Uh, you just play the political correct game. But this guy, a Kurt Schilling, he said, uh, he Twittered, A man is a man no matter what they call themselves. I don't care what they are, uh, who they sleep with. A men's room was designated for, I'll say, male parts, women's, not so much. Now you need laws telling us differently. He is responding to the North Carolina law about... Um, Having a wall that men's bathroom is for men only and women for women only, not transgender. Can you believe we're even having this argument? Did you see that coming? When I was five, when I was 10, when I was 20, I did not see this coming. That we would have this kind of argument. And, and you can legally be pronounced something and the, we can play that game, but there's still reality The reality of the world we live in, a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and God has given us responsibilities, and they are beautiful, wonderful things. It's the context for which we can truly worship and serve him and be fulfilled and satisfied in fulfilling our our meaning and our purpose for even having our existence. So. We as men are not doing women any favors, even though society tells us we're ruining the world by being that kind of man or man. We are doing society a great justice and favor by ascribing to biblical manhood because it meets needs that only we can meet with the the powers and abilities that God has given us. And with those abilities come responsibilities. If we have more strength, we have it for a reason. It's to protect those that don't have the same level of strength we have. If we have certain mental acumen and it goes on and on and on. We are given those for a specific reason and vice versa with the women as well. So women need us to be biblically wise. Children need need us to be the biblical man that God has designed. They need us to stay and not stray from home. When a, uh, when a, when a man leaves the home, and I'm going to say some hard words here for a little while. Um, when a man leaves a home, children live with a question mark. It's just what happens. And they, if dad's not in the home, mommy, why don't I have a daddy? They see, maybe they're friends, or their peers. Why did daddy leave? Will my daddy ever want to see me? Will my daddy ever want to meet me or do things with me? So, if if the daddies stray and what we would call abandon their household that they created, that they started, then it should be no surprise that those that are left behind, in particularly children, live with abandonment issues. This is reality. It's not just from Christian authors. It's from people who are sociologists, psychologists. People who are observant, it's their job to observe, hey, what's really happening? That's what is really happening. Author Michael Gurian says, First and foremost, a child who is abandoned must be constantly and repetitively told, constantly, repetitively, that he or she was not at fault for the abandonment. This can take months and years of repetition. Years. Gentle, firm, clear, loving with realistic dialogue about exactly why the father left. So the child can see that the child was not the cause of the abandonment. So just we, we just need to know that when parents go astray, the conclusion that children come to is it must be my fault. That's just how it works. It must be my fault. And they live with that. Young children. Then he goes on. He says, lastly, the mother should also know in her heart that a child is basically in search of love. A loving, safe feeling home. Huh? So what they're they're learning about humanity. And children in particular. Is that when they're when they're young like that? The thing they they want the most in life is a loving, safe home. Might even call it a nest. According to the Father Involvement Research Alliance, this is incredible. The data effects start as early as birth. A review of studies shows that the babies with more involved fathers are more likely to be emotionally secure confident in new situations eager to explore their surroundings as they grow they're more sociable toddlers with involved fathers are better problem solvers have higher iqs by age three i didn't even have an iq at age three i didn't even have a brain at age three more ready to start school can deal with the stress of being away from home all day better than children with less involved fathers at school children of involved fathers do better academically For example, a study in the U.S. Department of Education found that the children of highly involved... Notice U.S. Department of Education. This is secular. Very, very secular. This is what they found. Children of highly involved fathers were 43% more likely than other children to earn mostly A's. 33% less likely to repeat a grade. They are also less likely to have behavior problems at school and to experience depression. According to the same alliance, uh, research alliance, girls with involved fathers have highest higher self-esteem. Teenage girls who are close to their dads are less likely to become pregnant. Boys show less aggression, less aggression by having a father in the home, less impulsivity, more self-direction. As young adults, children of involved fathers are more likely to achieve higher levels of education, find success in their careers, have higher levels of self-acceptance, and experience psychological well-being. Adults who had involved fathers are more likely to be tolerant and understanding, have supportive social networks made up of close friends, and have long-term successful marriages. It almost sounds like I'm almost starting, to, and this is at every level, starting at birth all the way up to adulthood. It almost sounds like if dads were more involved in the home, it would it would solve or at least point us in the right direction to a lot of the problems that society is facing. Isn't that what the impression is? All the things that are listed, they're saying if dads are more involved, the, the percentage of... Brokenness goes way down. And when they're involved, the, the well-being of people, of humanity, goes way up. And that's a, isn't that exactly what Scripture is telling us? It, it's the way, it's the DNA of the world that God has put in there. We have specific purposes and roles and responsibilities because they've been given to us. We were created this way for a purpose, male or female. And the closer we get to this reality, guess what? The happier we are as a society. Because insecure children and insecure families make for an insecure society. And people, when we're insecure, we, do, we make bad decisions. We do funny things. And all of society, especially the West... Is feeling that right now? I don't read all this by any means to make people feel guilty. It's not the intent, and and to to be home doesn't mean that you're home. I know that. I get it. I have a lot of areas in my life uh, where that need a lot more involvement. It's it's not this panacea. If you just go home, then everything's going to be all right. No, it's relationship. It's involvement. It's living out our biblical role. I don't say it to to, to heap. Guilt. I just say it to show that it agrees with what Proverbs says about men. 2 A T. And how interesting that if Proverbs is going to choose just to talk about one topic when it addresses men, it has to do with the home and the household. So a wise man stays close to home. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays. From his home. Commentator Eldon Woodcock says. Straying or aimlessly wandering away from home. Abandoning helpless dependence is tragic. Whether by a mother bird or human father. By rejecting his family. A man both fails to fulfill his responsibility to them. And deprives himself of his strongest source of social and emotional support. We've all seen the little nests. Um. You know, as a kid, if a bird made a mistake of making a nest that I could reach, I was curious and I was going to go in there and look at it and check it out. And my parents said, don't touch the eggs because then you'll defile them and have the human scent and the mother won't come back. I don't really know if that's true or not, but I fell for it for a while. But then I couldn't resist and I went ahead and touched them anyway. But that's such it is with... Nature, But the, the, the wise author of Proverbs takes this scene from nature that we're all familiar with. We see it every spring and he applies it to uh, manhood, biblical manhood. He applies it to a man's house. And in this proverb, the man is the builder of the nest. The man is the keeper of the nest. He's the one who has dependence. In other words, yes, they really need you. They, you're there. And you've built this for them. You've brought people into the world. And they really need you. And without you, they are really vulnerable to the things in the world. They will suffer without you there. So stay put. Be around. Be a rock. Not a rolling stone. When you stray, it causes trouble. So... The proverb says a wise man stays close to home. And then a wise man accommodates not discombobulates. So what's up with that? It's corny. <laughs> you, you, you stay, you don't stray. I like that. So I thought I got to have something that's what it is. Discombobulates just kind of messes it all up, right? Proverbs 11:29 Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. Fifteen twenty-seven. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. Commentator D.A. Garrett says, These proverbs teach that a man cannot provide for the security of his family through any means that violate basic principles of right and wrong. So you can't just be at home and be a leader. You need to do it in the right way. Rather than focus his attention on making as much money as possible... A man should give thought to the choice of a good wife and then to the spiritual nurture of his children. Above all else, he must conduct his own life with integrity if he expects the same from his family. Just ask Lot. See, see, because we're in charge of our households, if we make a bad decision, our dependents suffer for it. Just Just ask Lot, who, when given an opportunity to choose any land that he wanted between he and Abraham, chose the very fertile land near Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was very infertile as far as spiritual growth. His wife turns into a pillar of salt because of her love for immorality, and then his children uh, have incestuous relationships. Because of this decision that dad made for the house, just ask King Saul, whose uh, childish antics and all of his insecurities brought, brought great humility upon his wives and his children, constantly harassing them or ask Achan who rather than taking the pillaged plunder from the Canaanites when the Israelites were going in the Promised Land and giving it to the Lord's treasury, which is what God commanded, decides, I'm going to keep some of this for myself and my family and hides it under his tent. And as a result, Israel loses a battle, Joshua loses a battle, lives are lost in a, in a fight, and then when God zeroed them out, that whole family was stoned and burned because of that decision that dad made. Or Gehazi, uh, Elisha's assistant, who decided, uh, Elisha's pretty, um, pretty good at healing people. I think I can make a little profit off of this. And so he heals Naaman. And Gehazi wants to capitalize off of that and get some gold. And he's called out on it because it's a free gift, the healing from God. And rather than going home to his family with gold, he goes home with leprosy and the judgment that leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Decisions that are made that affect the entire household. I'll never forget in New York City when we went there for missions and set up prayer stations. Basically, just ask people, can I pray for you? Of course, we had a sign that said prayer, prayer station and so forth, so they knew what we were about. This guy, I think it was Grand Central Station. This, this young man gets off the subway, and he's coming, and I ask, can I pray for him? And he just stops. Most people reject you. He just stops, and he looks at me. And as soon as I said, can I pray for you, he just breaks. He's in tears. I can't believe it. I wasn't expecting this. Here's this young guy in tears and he begins to say, yes, you can pray for me. Because what had happened was that he got hooked on drugs and he said, I am going home to my wife and I have two kids and I'm going home to them and they don't even know it. But we don't have any money. I spent it all on drugs. So he's basically going home to tell his family, we're not even going to have a place to live. We're going to have to be evicted. and I don't have any money to do anything decisions integrity what does it mean to inherit the wind this this young guy's going to go home and he's going to have to tell his family i have nothing to give what does it mean to inherit the wind it means that basically you wind up with nothing it's just air it's just wind you have nothing to show for your years of life It never stuck. Whatever effort you put into things. It's gone. That can't be a good feeling. So as we conclude. These three simple verses from the book of Proverbs about wise men. Just three little verses. And yet they they affect the well-being of all of society. I mean, how the direction that the world takes hinges on these verses and the role of biblical manhood. The good news is the gospel of Christ, because the gospel of Christ tells me as a man. That God will give me the power by His grace to be the kind of man that I need to be. And for you to be the kind of man and future man that you need to be to play this so utterly important role in the world that God has created. We can find our identity. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to be in crisis. We can find our identity in Christ and in who Christ has created us to be and birthed us again by being born again to be. So, men, the encouragement is is to stay put, to, to stay put, to to not stray, but to stay, to draw a line, not to compromise, read what God has written to us. And let's. See, well, this is what God says, and here's where I am today, and here's the way I think today. And let us repent of thinking that is not of the Lord, of living and acting and being that is not of the Lord. We'll have an opportunity to do that because we're going to enter into a time of continued praise and worship. And then we're just going to fellowship with Christ at the Lord's table as the family of God. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. We want to discover our context with biblical manhood as we worship the Lord. And remember, as we come to the table, that we are serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who stayed on the cross because that's where the Father wanted him, that's where he wanted to be, and that's where the world needed him to be. So he stayed on the cross and brought. Redemption to mankind and made a promise that as this great Lord, Lord and King, that he will not lose one of the dependents. Not one will be snatched out of his hand. That's the hope we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may this man, this extraordinary God man find us faithful in who He has called us to be, men. May God bless the preaching of His Word.